This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Jay Severin. If tomorrow the American government cut a $1 million check to every African American in America, well, you think Al Sharpton would retire? No. Something else would be wrong. Something else would be wrong. Be discontented. It's in the American DNA. But don't become a malcontent. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders America is the greatest country in the world. Really tough show today because there's nothing to talk about. So, Women's World Cup is going to... Three hours of the women... We have so much to do today. Um, coming up in the next hour. Let me tell you how this, how this happened. My local show here in San Diego... I guess it was Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We talked mostly about the Confederate flag. And it never felt right. And, and by Wednesday night, at the, at the end of the show, I was so frustrated. Because I said, what, 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 what are we doing? What, what, what is this? And I, I just thought, and I don't know if this is fair or not, but I'm just being honest. I thought of the nine people who were killed in that church looking down on us and saying this this is what you what our legacy is it's turned into this just a few days ago we were killed in church praising god and our legacy is the confederate flag was taken down and i just imagine them shaking their head being like oh well, we we wanted so much more than that and I think we owe them so much more than that. So it was, it was Wednesday, and I said, I, I promise you on, on Thursday's show, I'm going to talk about what we should have been talking about the last few days instead of the Confederate flag. So I sat down the next morning, and I said, hmm, well, what should we have been talking about? And I found it. Have you heard anything about the Arthur Ravenel Jr. Bridge? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, because I haven't heard anyone talk about it. Did you know that last Sunday night, 15,000 people in Charleston locked arms, spread two miles over that bridge with families of the victims leading the way, on each side of the bridge and meeting in the middle where they had a nine minute moment of silence, one for each of the victims. And they sang songs and they prayed together all night long. I didn't hear anything about that. So I want to tell that story coming up in a little bit. And, and I just, I just, I imagine that those nine victims looking down saying, ah, yes, <laughs> that's it. More of that. That's what we want more of. And I hate that. At least, may I speak for myself? I, I didn't know anything about that march. Because instead, we're talking about 
getting rid of Civil War themed games in the uh, on your iPhone app store. Like, you no longer can sell Alabama's greatest hits because it's got the Confederate flag on the front. And we missed one of the most beautiful rallies I've ever seen in my entire life in Charleston. So we'll talk about that later. But first, I want to talk about something that, that's really challenging for me, uh, and I'm really going to need your help on this. So one 900 and you can rebuke me and tell me I'm way off, or uh, you can help me articulate this better, because I'm really passionate about it, but I can't articulate it right, and it's frustrating. So I need your help. The number is one 900 or Slater Radio on, uh, on Twitter, S-L-A-T-E-R Radio. The gay marriage ruling from Obamacare, or from uh, the Supreme Court. We'll also get to the Obamacare ruling. I want to talk later about what's next for this movement, because it's not going to stop here, right? This is not the end. It's just a stepping stone. So later we'll talk about, you know, what's next and all that. But I want to, I got some big picture thoughts. Let me make my declarative statement here in the beginning. Help me word this better. Here it is. I believe in 10 years, very few people will get married. Very few people. I think the only reason that it's sticking around today is because of tradition and because parents are pressuring kids to get married because when they were there that, you know, younger, that that's what you do. And I think because little girls have grown up wanting to wear a white dress and have a big party. And, and well, now it's the age to do that. But in 10 years, none of that will happen anymore. Because in a secular world, there's no need for marriage. Why get married? Why get married? Why get married? Tax purposes. <laughs> so if the institution of marriage is surviving because, uh, well, we save some money on our tax. That's not good. That's, it's dead. If that's, what's, if that's what marriage has become, I'm going to save money on my taxes or whatever, like stuff like that. Ooh, that's, it's already dead. So if almost no one's going to get married anymore. And because marriage is the foundation of a nuclear family, and everyone knows without question, a nuclear family is the optimal way to raise children and is therefore the bedrock of our country. This is not a, a good trend. So I don't really want to talk about gay marriage so much right now because, you know, you hear a lot of people say, well, gay marriage is going to be the downfall of marriage. The institution of marriage has been withering away for decades. Long before gay people showed up. Just another notch. Right? That's all it is. Just another notch. But there's a lot of things that I think are an even bigger threat to marriage than even gay marriage. Because first, a little perspective I think is in order. What percentage of the population is gay? Just take a stab at it. I think we've talked about this a couple of times. What percentage of the American... Uh, what percentage of, of, uh, of the population are, are gay men? Gay men. What percentage of the population? In America, 330 million people. 1.8 percent 1.8 percent okay so we're not talking about 50 percent of the people <laughs> are gay and now everyone like, that's not it's it's almost no one almost no one so what are some bigger threats 
why are people not going to get married anymore? And, and why are people currently, the marriage rate right now already is at an all-time low. So this isn't that dramatic of a prediction. Um, but this is the trend we're on right now. So a couple things, and I'll, I'll throw them out here, see what you think. Sex before marriage. Sex has become something that's no longer connected with marriage. Right? The idea that sex was a privileged commodity reserved for spouses is now completely gone. Hence the expression, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? People are getting a lot of milk for free. So no need to actually work on and invest in an actual marriage. Okay? So that's, that's the first step towards the redefining of marriage has been going on for the last you know, 40, 50 years. Second thing, sex is no longer about procreating. Now, this, I'm not against birth control, uh, but in the past, if you have sex, then, then you have a child, possibly, at the end of that, at least nine months later. But now sex and children, they're completely delinked. Right? So we have a concept that sex is no longer about uh, procreating anymore. I'll explain why that's important coming up, but that's point number two. Number three, living together before you get married. Standard practice, I would say. I think, I think it's standard practice. It's encouraged for couples to live together before they get married. Why? Uh, I got to see what it's like. I take a little test drive before you make a long-term investment. So now once you're living together, why get married? Oh, that's right. Tax purposes. Right. So we got three things so far, right? You got uh, in the past, you got married so that you could have sex. You got married so that you could live together and you got married so that you would have kids. Now you can do all those things without marriage. So why get married? Throw in no fault divorce on top of that. And people are scared. Men especially are scared to get married because they know if there's a divorce, then they're going to get taken to the cleaners for the rest of their life. So you throw all these things together and many more, which we'll get to, and the institution of marriage is already pretty cheap. It didn't cost a lot for gay people to buy it. Marriage used to be. As, uh, see, it's not even that long ago, and, and, and you, you have better insight than, than I do on this. one 888 But honestly, even if you ask... Younger people who are who just got married, why are you getting married? They don't, it's just because. But you can't rely on that for very long. Marriage used to be a highly esteemed religious ceremony where the bride was presented to God as radiant as he made her and as her parents raised her. And marriage was the beginning of a man and woman's relationship together with God in a way that best resembled on earth the relationship of Jesus to the church. Now, you get a marriage today, and you go to one, it's, like, it's a silly kind of ritual. It's, it's just an excuse for a party. If anything, I was at one not too long ago, and uh, the couple, they've been living together for four years. They've been having sex. They've, uh, I don't have any kids, but, you know, that, whatever. And, um, you know, it was just, it was weird. It was just an expensive party because... I mean, just because you have read Corinthians up in the front of the thing doesn't make it a, you know, and it was, and I, they knew it was weird too. That was the thing. Everyone knew it was weird because nothing was different from the day before the wedding to the day after the wedding. After the wedding, they just went back to their house. 
Right, so, and, and nothing changed in their lives. So, I mean, already it's it's sort of a strange ritual. And it's it's getting worse. Again, gay people are 1.8% of the population. I'm much more worried about the 49% of the population that are the boys that we're raising into men. Because with video games and with adult videos on the internet, boys' brains are being rewired to the point where women aren't even important. Why? Why have why 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 be involved with women? Why go through the hassle of dating? Dating is a pain. Why go through courting someone? Why uh, serve a woman when you can just watch a movie online for two minutes and feel satisfied, at least for a couple minutes? And why put up with the hassle? You can just play video games with guys and your friends. And why go on a date when if you make a move, you may be accused of being a rapist? And why get married when if you get divorced, the, the, the woman's going to take all your money forever? Young men, 20, 30 years old, are doing a cost-benefit analysis of marriage and they're saying it's not worth it there are groups of guys it's called men going their own way that's the name of this movement it's an official group where they've sworn off women not to be gay but just to disconnect from from society like from that aspect of society because they don't think they need it anymore I want to talk more about that coming up next, but I, I hope that's at least, I don't know, maybe you've never thought about it before, or if you're older, I'm 30 years old, so I have a closer connection to people who are 20 than, than you know, previous generations. And it's, it's I, I could just, I feel it so strongly that, that marriage has been under assault for decades from all different angles. And marriage is losing <laughs> And gay marriage has almost nothing to do with it. Because again, I think 300,000 gay couples have been married so far. Like, whatever. Marriage has been losing for a long time. All the more reason to cherish your marriage. Because the institution, I promise you, won't be around for long. one 888 I'd love to get your take on this. And Slater Radio um, on Twitter. S-L-A-T-E-R. Radio. 1-888-900-3393. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Later. All right, something to think about here. Marriage. And it's hard because, you know, if you're over the age of 40, you grew up in a time when you got married after college or whatever, right? I mean, you, so, so you're thinking back like, well, there will, it will always be this sentence. not. I'm telling you, it's not. There was a really popular article on the internet last year called The Sexodus, talking all about this. And the author wrote a, a follow-up piece with all the feedback he got from his uh, the first article. And it was about men giving up. A, <laughs> uh, Captain Jason just sent over a picture of uh, 
Oh, the He-Man Women's Hater Club, Women Haters Club. <laughs> but like, yes, that's what's happening right here. Men are giving up on women. They just don't want the hassle, and they don't need it anymore. They don't need the hassle, right? They can get. I, I talked to a friend of mine. He's uh, just retired from radio, and I said, uh, Roger, is, do you think the institution of marriage is ever going to go anywhere? And he said, No, because men will always have a uh, primal urge to be with a woman. And I said, yeah, but now that primal urge can be satisfied, quote unquote satisfied, without there actually being a woman. And not only that, but that woman who wants you so badly, you can just turn her off and shut your computer down and then go back on with your life playing video games. You don't have to worry about the other things that come with being with a woman, right? And, and he's like, Ugh, times are so different, so different. So anyway, he got a lot of feedback on this article. Um, and this is Mark. He's 24 years old. He said, we're not all losers and nerds. We're just normal guys who are either scared of being accused of terrible stuff or can't be bothered anymore. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I just can't deal with hassle, the hassle of women anymore. Francis is 28. He says, I'm an athlete. My parents have a lot of money. I got plenty of friends and a good social life. I don't hang out with women anymore. Occasionally, I'll have one night stands, but mostly I fill my time with other things. Hector, he's 26. He says, today, a few hours before reading your article, I was having lunch with my mother and she kept talking about girlfriends and how I need to get married. Meanwhile, I kept thinking, why would I waste my life with all that? And it wasn't until I read your article a few hours later that I realized, and I don't think it's just my generation that's afflicted by this. These men, he's 24, 28, and 26. That last guy was 26 years old. And he's like, why do I want to deal with marriage? Think of what boys are bombarded with today like never before. Think about what our culture is telling boys. First, have as much sex as possible before marriage. With as many people as possible. Because once you get married, you're not going to have any anymore. Second thing, if you touch a woman, particularly on a college campus, you will get accused of rape. Three, if you do get married... It is a lot of hard work and really expensive. And if you get divorced, you'll be broke forever. So that's what the world is telling young boys. And boys are looking at me like, well, who wants that? <laughs> and in the old days, it was like, well, I don't know. I don't want that, but there's no other alternative. Now there's a new alternative. Where you can just look, believe woman, get into a video camera and she says she loves you and wants you and you're amazing and you can look at her whenever you want and turn off the computer when you're done. And then you go and you have fun playing video games and because and you're, your friends aren't going to judge you. Like The alternative is now so easy. Obviously not fulfilling at all, but so simple and so um, uh, captivating, alluring. Look at what the culture says marriage is and then what the world is providing as an alternative. And if you think I'm exaggerating about video games, um, real quick, we got a minute. Think of someone with a video game. All right, think, think of someone playing a video game right now. What do they look like? I would say 12-year-old boy. Males 10 to 20 years old are 12% of video game players. Males 21 to 35 make up 18%. Males 36 to 50 make up 14%. So the average video game player is like a 35-year-old guy. 35. 
I'm not saying video games are bad, don't get me wrong, but, but I hope you see the what I'm saying. We're, the world is very, very different than it's ever been before. And unless you have some religious connotation to it, I don't understand what the purpose of marriage is anymore. And we can say that gay marriage is destroying marriage, and we'll talk, make that argument. We'll talk about that next. But I think marriage and masculinity is being attacked from countless different angles. So please protect your marriage and raise your boys up to know the truth. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Slider Crusader. It's had a really great conversation with uh, everyone back in the studios here in New York City about this. The, uh, and and I'm, I'm struggling here because I'm, I'm very passionate about it, but I can't quite articulate it right. So it's frustrating, but I know this is important and, and no one's talking about it. And, and that's what's bothering me, too. Um, I do want to talk about gay marriage here in just a few minutes. But the last half hour was dedicated to what I believe is the, is the greatest threat to marriage in our country. And that's how we're raising our boys. Because there's an entire generation right now, like this isn't something that, you know, in the next 20 years, we're going to be raising boys in this way. That's no, no. right now. There are 20 and 13, uh, 30 year old uh, men, boys with chest with, with hair on their chest who are giving up on women. And I'm not even, how do I word this? Based on what the world is telling them and based on what our culture has become, I can't blame them. It's, it's not, it's not I'm like, oh, look at these horrible men. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, look at our horrible culture that has created this situation, which is not healthy. So men have given up on women because it's a hassle, because they don't want to be accused of being rapists. And why date and why marry when there's a woman right there on my computer screen who tells me I'm amazing and then I can just go play video games with my friend. Uh, boys, men are checking out of the marriage game. And I was just talking with Miss Britt, our producer during the, the break, and uh, all of her guy friends, all of them, mid-20s, all of them play video games. Every single one of them. And I don't think you can play video games and have a strong marriage. I really don't. Because I asked Brett, I said, Brett, uh, how attractive is that to you when, when you see these guys playing video games? Not at all. So, I, and let me back it up too. So, you don't, because there's guys listening right now who do play video games. So, let, hear me out. I have an addictive personality. I have been addicted to video games. Growing up, I played them all the time. I played SimCity nonstop, um, I played Age of Empires, Warcraft. Right before turned to World of Warcraft, um, so I played all these video games. I got addicted to video games on the phone. Like, what's the one? Like, uh, it's not Game of Thrones; it's a TV show, but it's it's like that. Whatever, you know what I mean. All those role playing games. I got addicted to all of them, and I had to put them down because my marriage was suffering. And when I tell my wife about it, there's nothing I can do that can turn her off more than tell her that. 
I really want to go to my buddy's house so we can play Age of Empires together. I mean, like, and I and I don't really want to do that, but I, I say, like, you know, I if you if you were gone for the weekend, I could go to my buddy's house and we could play Age of Empires. And she's turned off instantly. The thing that turns her off more than video games, the concept of video games. So if you combine video games and what guys can look at on the computers. That right there is so destructive to the institution of marriage and two of the most lucrative money-making industries in the entire country. Video games and and adult movies. Two of the most, of the biggest industries and growing like never before. And those two things are destroying marriages across the country. Incredibly serious problem. Marriage has been under attack for the last few decades, but it's manifesting itself with men in their 20s who don't want women. It's wild. Um, okay, so that's sort of my, that's my, my big thesis. Um, Slater Radio on Twitter, if you have a statement, or 1-888-900-3393. Uh, let's talk about gay marriage now. Which again, I think is just... I don't I don't have a number here, but let's say there's 10 threats to marriage. I think gay marriage is like eight or nine because, again, one point eight percent of the population is gay. So we're talking about almost no one. But here's what I am worried about. And this is true with everything. Gay marriage is no different. There are leaders and there are followers. We could talk about it with climate change. We could talk about it with Obamacare. We could talk about it with a bunch of things. Followers in the gay marriage movement are gay people who want to get married because uh, they love someone and they want legal protections that go along with it, right? And I don't think anyone would deny it or wants to deny gay people those legal protections. Right? I think this gay marriage case itself, there were a couple different couples involved, but one of them was a guy who wanted to be buried next to his partner and couldn't be, I don't know why you couldn't, but there's some law that says you can only be married next to your spouse or something. I don't, I don't know. Just, yeah, yeah, get married next, get, get buried next to the person. I, I mean, I don't care. Do everything. Right? So, so those are followers. Just gay people want to get married. Gay people want to be together forever. Want to have a commitment. Want the legal protections. All right. Those are the gay, those are the gay marriage movement followers. Uh, there are also straight people who write, you know, love wins all over their Facebook and Twitter page. Uh, so that they can be hip and progressive and and totally tolerant and all that. Those are followers. I'm not worried about them. It's the gay marriage leaders who have a much different plan. And this is not the end. On my local show, the uh, guys who do the mor- uh, on my local station, the guys who do the morning show, uh, one of them was excited about the ruling. And, and sort of half in jest, he was excited about it because now this means he will never have to talk about gay marriage ever again. <laughs> I wish. Because I promise you, this is not the end. There are a lot of forces in the past, most of them unwittingly, who, that have been destroying marriage. This is just the latest blow. How will it destroy marriage? I'll give you a couple examples. Hey, Michelson is uh, from the Daily Beast. Quote, what if gay marriage 
really will change the institution of marriage. Shifting conceptions around monogamy and intimacy. Because that, that's what straight marriage needs. Straight marriage needs shifting conceptions of monogamy. That, that's perfect. According to a 2013 study, about half of gay marriages surveyed were not strictly monogamous. What would happen if gay non-monogamy, and I'll include Dan Savage's monogamish model, which involves extramarital sex once a year or so, what if gay non-monogamy actually starts to spread to straight people? Would open marriages, 70 swinger parties, and perhaps even another era's arrangements and understandings become more prevalent? Here's the key line. Is non-monogamy one of the things that same-sex marriage can teach straight ones? Is non-monogamy cheating on your partner? Adultery, infidelity, one of the things that same-sex marriage can teach straight ones. Hannah Rosen from Slate, she says, the dirty little secret about gay marriage, most gay couples are not monogamous, and we desperately need something to make the drooping institution of heterosexual marriage seem vibrant again. And gay marriage has something to teach us. Gay couples provide a model for marriages that are more egalitarian and less burdened by the old gender roles that are weighing marriage down these days. There's a team of lawyers from Georgetown, Harvard, Columbia, and Yale. And they call themselves, uh, they're part of a group called Beyond Marriage. And their goal is to provide legal protection for all different types of families. Like, uh, this is their website, Queer Couples who decide to jointly create and raise a child with another queer couple in two households and committed loving households in which there's one or more conjugal partner. I don't have the article up here. Let me see if it pops up here. Um, Here it is. Yesterday afternoon, Politico headline. It's time to legalize polygamy. Okay. Time to leave, guys. Remember, people, people, <laughs> right-wing hate mongers talked about the slippery slope. Well, if we legalize same-sex marriage, then we're going to legalize polygamy. That's what's next. Six hours after the ruling was released, Politico has an article. It's time to legalize polygamy. And not polygamy like when you think of Mormons, when you think of uh, one guy with eight wives. It's not that. It's more like communal cohabitation where you have... Five guys and two women or five guys and three guys and two guys and and another. And it's just just chaos. (laughs) It's just a free-for-all. That's what polygamy will look like. Not the old polygamy model with one guy and eight wives. Uh, I'll end with this. Uh, This is a group called Gay Liberation Front. We are a revolutionary group of men and women formed with the realization that complete sexual liberation for all people cannot come about unless existing social institutions are abolished. Unless existing social institutions are abolished. That's marriage. Marriage is the existing social institution. For what purpose? Complete sexual liberation. What's the group called? The Gay Liberation Front. So that's being achieved through this movement. So just know that the goal here is not to redefine marriage. The goal is to eliminate it. 
Now, again, I'll end with the same asterisk. The same, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know what I'm saying. Um, there's leaders and there's followers. Charlie and Adam, who live down the street from you, the gay couple who want to get married, fine. They're followers. I'm talking about the leaders of this movement who are using your friendly neighborhood gay couple who just want to get married for a much bigger purpose, and that is to eliminate the institution of marriage. And this institution has been crumbling for decades, which is what we outlined the first half hour of the show. Right, The growth of premarital sex, living together without getting married. At this point, why even get married? Why? Now you take God out of marriage, which has already happened, and, and this is now the final straw. The instant, let me end with this. The institution of marriage is the institution of marriage as something to strive for no longer exists. Will this affect my marriage? Not a chance. Not a chance. My marriage is between me, Stephanie, and God. Nothing can get, can get in between that. But this will affect our, our culture and our kids. No doubt about it. Protect them. Protect them. And teach them the truth. We got to take a break. I want to come back with Frank in Texas next. And we'll take your call to 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. is Mike Slater. Three minutes, couple callers. Let's do it. Frank is in Texas. How are you today, Frank? I'm doing quite well. Enjoying a beautiful day outside. A uh, nice sun here. Beats the rain. I'll tell you. Do for the last few months. Well, I miss, I used to live in Tennessee. I miss that accent right there, sir. So uh, I, I hate we only got a couple minutes left because I wish I'd, I'd just tell you to talk all you, all you can because I love, I love listening to you. But uh, what, do you, what do you think on this topic here? Oh, well, this topic, as far as the marriage individual, I'm a married man. I've been married for uh, seven years, coming up pretty soon, two little girls. And, and as far as the institution of marriage, I love the idea of it, and I've tried to practice it as well as I possibly could. Yeah. Uh, but as far as my friends and the uh, people that I cohabitate with, I see differences of opinions. And a lot of the big differences that I see is simply in understanding. You know, I have the one side that uh, I do have gay friends that have been married or together or however you want to look at it for very long periods of time. And then I have the people that uh, are a little bit more, I guess, conservative uh, Christian views that, that don't really like it as much. Uh, and so as far as where my ideas fall, I pretty well try to mind my own business and respect their views as much as possible. Well, that's what the Bible says to do, right? Strengthen your marriage as much as possible so that uh, other people, you, you can be a model for other people um, and shine the light through your marriage. I mean, that's... And honestly, in all, in all uh, it probably doesn't matter that much, but I am not a true Christian believer. I don't believe in the faith, but I do believe in... Everybody has their own rights, and, and we should just respect that. It's just what we're taught to do, at least in the South. I'm, you know, I know up north there's a different outlook on that. <laughs> well, let, let me take the Bible out of it. It, it. It's even just a. I think that's just a true principle in life. It's always a good thing to be a light for other people and li- live by example. So that that's just a uh, just a life I would principle. Totally agree with that. Yeah, Frank. Pleasure here from you, sir. Thank you very much for for listening and for calling in. Want to go to uh, Levi, who is in uh, Great State of Montana. What's up, Levi? Oh, it is a great state, isn't it? 
I've never been there, but I got a couple friends there, and they love it. Uh, we got uh, a minute, a minute, and it's all yours, Levi. Go ahead. Well, I basically wanted to say, you know, I am one of those guys that, that pretty much refuses to be in a relationship anymore. And it's not because of accusations of rape or anything of that sort. It's more women today just don't don't allow a man to support them or provide for them. And half the reason I wound up in Wyoming was, you know, I've been single for 18 years since high school and finally did get into a relationship and nothing I could ever do was ever right. Uh, if I tried to provide, I was trying to take over her life or, you know, things along that line. And, and that's, I think that scares a lot of men. You know, there's not a lot we can do anymore without being blamed with everything. I definitely agree. It's a, I think a result of the feminist movement. Uh, let me ask you this question and, uh, we have to answer quickly. Perfect world. Would you get married if you found a, a, a perfect woman? Like I said, I moved up here from Colorado to Montana to be with the girl of my dreams. I gave everything to that relationship, but it just wasn't enough because I was not, trying to, to provide and be a provider where yep. her, she was taught by her mom that no man should ever provide for her. You're not and alone, it has Levi. nothing to do with fears of yeah. being accused of rape. Levi, we got to hit the top. Man. I hate to interrupt you. Uh, you're not alone. Everyone has different reasons. This is definitely the direction this country's moving in. It's for all of us to decide if it's the right one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for that last hour. Really great phone calls to wrap up. Uh, thank you, Frank and Levi. Uh, it's Twitter Slater Radio, and you can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook, and we can continue that conversation uh, there. Because I'm going to think a lot more about it. I hope you do too. Um, I think it's very important, and and I, I don't really hear a lot of people talking about it. Um, but moving on. I had a a frustrating week. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday were frustrating because the someone told us that we were supposed to talk about the Confederate flag. And we did. I did. And we had some good discussion about it on my local show. And it, it's important, right? It, it, it was a good conversation, and, and I'm glad we had it. But not when you compare it to what we should have been talking about. Not when you compare it to what we were distracted from and pay no attention to. Talking about the Confederate flag is all good and well, but not, not next to what should have been the national discussion for the first half of the week. And the reason we were talking about the Confederate flag is because someone looked at Charleston and expected riots and looting and protests. Instead, they got prayer circles outside the courthouse and gospel singing in the streets and forgiveness coming from families of the victims. 
And whoever decides what the country's supposed to talk about, that, what they saw, made them uncomfortable. They wanted something very different than what Charleston gave them. And what Charleston gave the media wasn't a profitable story, right? Because you need something with strife, right? You need something with conflict. You need something to advance the narrative. And Charleston wasn't giving it to him. So the attention had to be averted to the Confederate flag. I want to take a minute here and talk about what should have been the national conversation the first half of the week. It'll be today, actually. Have you ever heard of the Arthur Ravenel Jr. Bridge? Now, maybe I should take a quick time out. <clears throat> quick sidebar. I'm in San Diego, pretty far away from Charleston geographically. So maybe it's just I haven't seen this coverage. Maybe this was the discussion and I just totally missed it. If you're closer to Charleston have you, and have you heard more about this, maybe if you were there, gosh, I'd love to get your take. So maybe I should say it like this. I have never heard of the Arthur Ravenel Jr. Bridge. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right because I've never heard anyone else pronounce it. It's a bridge in Charleston. And last Sunday night, Six days ago, a housewife thought it would be nice if if she and a couple of her friends got together and marched across the bridge. You know, in memory of the, the nine victims from the week before. So she put it out on Facebook. You know, meet in this park. We're going to walk across the bridge. We're going to pray and it'll, it'll be nice. Put it on Facebook and Sunday came and, uh, some people showed up. 15,000 people showed up and stretched two miles from the town on one side of the bridge all the way across the bridge to the middle of the town on the other side of the bridge. They called it a unity chain. And throughout the march, they had a nine-minute moment of silence, one minute for each of the victims. And the only reason I know about this is from the local papers in Charleston. And the only way I saw any pictures of it is from Twitter and Instagram. And it's truly one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. So people started on different sides of the bridge, right? You have uh, uh, family members of the victims leading the march on each side. And they started at the same time, marched, met in the middle. These are all comments from people who were there. Emotion was high. Joy overcame sadness and the impact of the moment was real. A black man wrote, look at the multitude of faces and races that came. One picture has uh, victims' uh, family in the middle, police officers surrounding them, and people as far as the eye can see, every head bowed, American flags waving in the background. Someone took a picture of it and said, nine minutes of silence, nine lives gone, all colors united, Wasn't this Martin Luther King's dream? The pictures of people meeting in the middle of the bridge and everyone embracing and crying, I've never seen anything like it. Where were these pictures? (laughs) Why why wasn't this the nonstop news of the week? Why, Why wasn't this all we heard about? That murderer wanted to start a race war 
And instead, he started a movement where people of all races are praying on the bridge in the middle of town. One family wrote on Instagram, they said, most phenomenal experience I could ever be a part of. My father later told me, thank you for such an incredible day and for giving me such a historic Father's Day. One picture has a white family member with, her, with their four-year-old son. And there's a black family with their four-year-old daughter. And they're all embracing and the kids are playing together. That is literally MLK's I Have a Dream speech personified. Like right there on that bridge. But we didn't talk about it. No one talked about it. I haven't seen these pictures anywhere other than Twitter and Instagram. People's personal accounts. That's it. How was that picture not just blazed on everyone's mind like everyone should have should have seen this picture and never forget this picture it is literally mlk's dream personified another comment says we'll all come together in our mourning and our healing black white doesn't matter we're united as a community of charlestonians the whole vibe has been sort of like i love you and there's nothing you can do about it Brittany, can we play uh, clip one here? This is uh, this is one of the, I believe, a, a family member of of one of the victims. He he led the march from one side of the bridge to the other. Uh, this is the rally they were having just before they marched. Uh, this gentleman here is being introduced by the chief of police, and I play this because I. I didn't see it anywhere. I, I just found it on YouTube, right? I don't know why this guy wasn't all over the news. I don't know why this wasn't the most popular video on YouTube. It, it's, it's so frustrating because you know what it is? Someone else is writing our story. That's what it is. Someone's writing our story for us instead of us. Right, the last three days, or I should say, like the first three days of the month of the excuse me, first three days of last week, was all about the Confederate flag. It's all we were supposed to talk about, and it's all anyone did. It was all over everything. But so, so the person who's writing the history of uh, what is that? June twenty, June twenty second to June twenty fourth, uh, the United States of America talked about the Confederate flag and whether or not it should be taken down from all things and whether the Dukes of Hazard should ever be played on TV again and whether the greatest hits of Alabama should be sold on Amazon. And someone wrote that as our story. And it's frustrating because that's, that shouldn't have been our story for those three days. It should have been celebrating what happened on that bridge on Father's Day in Charleston. And we should have been focused on this gentleman and his words to the people of Charleston before they marched across that bridge. Clip one. He introduced me and you clapped. But I want you to give yourself a hand because look at the turnout, not only here, but I heard it's about 5,000 people on the other side of this bridge. Charleston, South Carolina, you have us mistaken. 
We are united as the human race. To this point, you have heard Black Lives Matter. Where is, come here a second, I'm gonna do this here in Charleston. I'm going to do this right here. I am going to say this to you. Stand right here, can you hold this for me? He's wearing a shirt that says Black Lives Matter and he's taking it off right now. It's not black lives that matter anymore. All lives. And wherever you are, wherever you're hiding, whether it be behind a keyboard or a cell phone or in some dark cave somewhere, spewing your hatred, trying to keep us divided. We are the United States of America, one country, undivisible, unto God. I'm sick. I'm sick of the race baiters. I'm sick of the people, as that gentleman just said, those who are trying to divide, because that's all the Confederate flag controversy was, right? There was, it was called the Unity March for the love of peace. There was unity in Charleston, and we couldn't have that in the national discussion. Instead, we had to change our attention and focus on something that does divide, something so stupid to talk about, like the Confederate flag, because it's divisive. That's the only reason why that was brought up. I am done with the race baiters. I'm done with their liars, and they're controlling the narrative. They're writing our story. And what they're writing is not true. one 3393 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, 1-888-933-93, Slater Radio on the Tweet Machine. Um, we just played that clip from a gentleman uh, at the rally before uh, 15,000 people marched across the bridge in Charleston. And in the middle of the speech, he took off his t-shirt that said Black Lives Matter, and he said, you know what? All lives matter. With a roar of approval. And you compare that to the speech that Hillary Clinton gave in Ferguson earlier in the week and in that speech she said all she said all lives matter and people in the audience said they'll never vote for her because she didn't say black lives matter i'll never get it i'll never get it and you know what don't be afraid to call that out for being ridiculous when a preacher at Hillary Clinton's speech, said she's a white preacher, a white pastor, and uh, she has black kids. And she adopted them. And she says, I'm never going to vote for Hillary Clinton because she needs to say that my kids matter. She needs to say that my black babies matter. It's like, lady, all lives matter. Why don't you get about that? So don't be afraid to call that out because here we have a black family member of someone who was murdered by an evil racist and he's marching across the bridge chanting all lives matter. All lives matter is the truth. Black lives matter is a lie. And you say, but don't black lives matter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all lives matter. (laughs) Just an example right there of the goal to divide. 
The goal to separate, the goal to put in groups, all the rest. But that bridge in Charleston is some of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen in my entire life. The picture of family members and police officers praying together. Of black people and excuse me, microphone fell off. Of black people and white people embracing. Of white families crying into each other's arms. If we're a racist country, if we're a white supremacist nation, which I don't know if you caught that uh, this week. For the last couple of years, we've been a nation of white privilege. Now we are a nation of white supremacy. We are a white supremacist nation. You're going to hear a lot more of that moving forward now. You're still going to hear white privilege, but be on the lookout for white supremacy. <laughs> right. So if we were a white supremacist nation, why are there white people embracing each other and crying because nine black people were murdered? Shouldn't they be celebrating that? That's the way the race baiters make it seem. Speaking of race baiters, I thought of this the other day. Have you ever... Now... How do I word this? Have you noticed that you haven't heard anything from Al Sharpton in Charleston? There's no place for him. There's no room for him. Evil fills the cracks. I think it's Genesis 4 says, um, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door. Think of a wild animal by your back door, right? Waiting for you to open your back door just to crack so that it can rush in. Those are the race baiters. They're only successful when they fill a space, when they fill a void. And the void is left by us. When we leave a void, race baiters come in take advantage of it. Al Sharpton, he couldn't hold a rally in Charleston. He couldn't get a, a, a news camera to, to a speech of his. He couldn't get people riled up because everyone was on the bridge. Right? No one would show up to his rally because they were busy. No video cameras would go because all the TV crews were at the bridge. They were following the family members who were praying with police officers. Al Sharpton couldn't get people riled up to fight because they were too busy holding hands and singing. The people of Charleston left no space for the devil to get a foothold. They left no space for anyone else to enter and corrupt. And that's how hashtag love wins. <laughs> that's how love wins. That's how Charleston won. And that's why the media coverage nationwide wanted nothing to do with it. So instead they had to make something else up. And that's why we talked about the Confederate flag all week. A member of that church, Mother Emanuel, she was there. She was at that march. She said, this is a beautiful turnout. I love it. My heart is so full right now. One sign says, forgiveness is the key to unity. People are handing out free bottles of water, strangers hugging and praying on the bridge, all races. It's, it's as good as it gets. One of the um, victim's birthdays was on Sunday. Father's Day, last Sunday, the day they had the march. And Jill, white lady, she had the same birthday. And she said, something said I needed to be here. These are my people. I love these people. And I don't think I have another tear left. 
Thank goodness. I cried for three days. This was just a part of the healing. One picture has a a 40-year-old white man with a six-year-old son on his shoulders and a 40-year-old black man with a six-year-old son on his shoulders. Each hugging each other and the, and the, the kids playing on the shoulders. On, it, it's like, what is, what is this place? What's happening here? And why are we not hearing about this? It's frustrating. Got to talk about the Confederate flag because it divides. It's meaningless, really. Absolutely meaningless. And it divides, which is all they wanted. This white supremacist nation, that is a lie. That is an ugly, insidious lie. And we all need to kill it. You know, these murder, the murderer, he wanted to start a race war. Done. <laughs> right, all right. You wanted to start a race war? I don't know how specific he was in his ramblings. I didn't read all of them, but I heard that he wanted to start a race war. <laughs> totally fine. You got it. Join me in defeating the true racists amongst us. Because it stops here. Plato said, we share this all the time, Plato said we need to be on the look lookout for what is good, beautiful, and true. Found it. Thank you, Charleston. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Happened the exact instant the microphone turned on it. Uh, Matthew sent me the tweet. He said, Slater, your words are so powerful today. You knocked your mic off with your sh- the, with the sheer force of your voice. Impressive. I I hit it with my hand. Don't I? It was the, it was the sheer force sheer force of me swinging my arms wildly in the air. Uh, Catherine said, "Thank you for this amazing story. Wish I had been there." With thousands of good folks. Referring to the Unity Bridge in Charleston. Catherine, I wasn't sure if I was the only one who missed the story or not. I, I chalked it up to me, you know, I'm San Diego, 3,000 miles away. Maybe it just didn't make it out this far. Maybe I just wasn't watching the news at the right time. But I don't think anyone talked about it. And that should have been the story all week long. Everyone in the country should know about Unity Bridge in Charleston. Everyone. What a shame that I really feel like this week got hijacked. And I that's right, and this isn't fair, and it's probably not true, but I'm telling you how I feel. I, I just feel like it was a wasted week. Right? I feel like we and I'm, I'm talking to myself now. I, talk radio show host, had the opportunity to to discuss what really matters, make a difference, you know find the, the goodness and, and the core humanity and what's happening around the world. And instead I took the bait and was talking about the Confederate flag for three days. So I feel like I, my time got hijacked 
and therefore I wasted time for people listening. And yeah, the Confederate flag was a good conversation and whatever, but that's not what the story was. So, anywho, Unity Bridge. I want to talk more about it a little later too, but we got some other stuff to talk about because the first half of the week was hijacked. The story was hijacked, right? Instead of Unity Bridge, instead of Charleston, we're talking about the uh, Confederate flag. The last two days of the week, our Constitution was hijacked. This is the best. I got two points of analysis about the Obamacare ruling. It actually ties into the gay marriage ruling, too. But This Obamacare ruling is, is much more. It's about much more than just Obamacare. The only way Obamacare is going to go away now is if the next president and Congress voted away. And if you believe that the next Republican president is going to do that, well, got some beans, I'd like to say. Actually, maybe that should be a standard, one of our standards for who we elect president. Will this president actually eliminate Obamacare? If not, in my book, they're disqualified. But anyway, elections have consequences. If, and not to go down this road too far because this doesn't do much good, but if we... uh, Let's say John McCain won back in 2008 or some other conservative won. Then they would have appointed two more Scalia's to the court. And these rulings would have been six to three on the conservative side. And I remember back in 2008, a lot of people saying that the most important reason to vote for a conservative president is not because of any bill he passes, but because of the appointees to the Supreme Court. Because a president's term may be four years. But the appointments last decades, and those decisions that the justices make can last forever. And then those decisions screw up a bunch of other decisions in the process with new legal precedent. Commander-in-chief nominating Supreme Court justices, and the same is going to be true in the, for the next president, as a couple of the Supreme Court justices uh, are, are nearing the end of their, uh, their, their time on the bench here. That's if Ginsburg doesn't just decide to leave in the next, in the next two years, but... Anywho, Obamacare decision. Uh, our framework of government's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I'll read from uh, George Will. He said, uh, the, the, uh, the Roberts Doctrine says that it is a judicial function to construe laws in a way that make them perform better, meaning more efficiently, than they would as written by Congress. So the Supreme Court's job has gone from upholding the Constitution and taking the Constitution in one hand and a law in the other and comparing them with each other and saying, uh, is this law constitutional? Nope. Sorry. It's gone from that into, well, I don't know. How can we rewrite it to make it work better? How can we fix Congress's mistakes? And that is a very different job than what they're supposed to be doing. William Maurer is from the Institute of Justice, fantastic organization. He said, quote, we are becoming a country in which all the branches of government work in tandem to achieve policy outcomes instead of checking one another to protect individual rights. And that right there is why our system of government doesn't exist anymore. The three branches of government that we've Learned forever, right? The executive, the legislative, and the judicial, the three branches of government have now become the three departments of government. Or let me word it like this. I think this is more accurate. You have the executive branch of government, and then you have the executive branch's two departments. 
the legislative branch and the judicial branch all and the executive branch all work on the same team as opposed to checking each other to protect our liberty. They now work in tandem to promote their agenda. Very different, obviously. Scalia said as much in his gay marriage decision. He said, let me see if I can pull this up here. He said, this practice of constitutional revision by an unelected committee of nine, always accompanied, as it is today, by extravagant praise of liberty, robs the people of the most important liberty they asserted in the Declaration of Independence and won in the Revolution of 1776, and that is the freedom to govern themselves. So, why should you, as a gay person, care about this Supreme Court ruling? Live by the sword, die by the sword. Live by that sword, you die by that sword. And gay people wanting gay marriage, you've been living by that sword for a long time now. Good for now. But it won't always be. And that's what Scalia said in his dissent. He started off with, listen, I don't care. (laughs) He says the law can recognize as marriage whatever sexual attachments and living arrangements it wishes. He says it's it's not of special importance to me what the law says about marriage. It is of overwhelming importance, however, who it is that rules me. And today's decree says that my ruler and the ruler of 320 million Americans coast to coast is a majority of the nine lawyers on the Supreme Court. See the difference there? Scalia says, I don't care what you define marriage as. State of California, state of Illinois, state of Kentucky. I don't care. I don't care what sexual arrangements and living arrangements. Who cares? What matters is who my ruler is. And we have changed everything so that now nine people on the Supreme Court are your rulers. And who are those nine people on the Supreme Court? This would be the last Scalia quote I read, but I think this is, this is my favorite line from... The dissent. A lot of people are talking about some of the funny quips that uh, that Scalia has, and that's all good. But this, I think, is is really important. He says the federal judiciary is hardly a cross section of America. Take for example this court, which consists of only nine men and women, all of them successful lawyers who studied at Harvard or Yale Law School. Think about that: nine Supreme Court justices, all of them went to one of two schools. Four of the nine are natives of New York City. New York City, not New York State, New York City. Four of the nine. Eight of them grew up in East and West Coast states. Only one hails from the vast expanse in between. Not a single Southwesterner, or even, to tell the truth, a genuine Westerner. One he doesn't count. He's referring to, like, Arizona, New Mexico. like That's like the West. Not a single evangelical Christian, a group that comprises about one quarter of Americans, or even a Protestant of any denomination. So I guess there's Jews and Catholics on the Supreme Court. No Protestant, no evangelical. The striking unrepresentative character of the body voting on today's social upheaval would be irrelevant if they were functioning as judges. 
answering the legal questions, whether the American people ever had ratified a constitutional provision that was understood to prescribe the traditional uh, definition of marriage. But of course, the justices in today's majority are not voting on this basis. They say they are not. And to allow the policy question of same-sex marriage to be considered and resolved by a select, patrician, highly unrepresentative panel of nine is to violate a principle even more fundamental than no taxation without representation, and that is no social transformation without representation. Just sit on that for a second. I know that's a lot, but think about it. you got nine Supreme Court justices. All of them, except for one, from East and West Coast cities. Four of the eight from New York City. All of them went to either Harvard or Yale Law School. None of them are evangelical Christians, which make up 25% of the population, or even a Protestant. And they didn't make a legal decision, which it wouldn't matter what your religion is or whatever if you're making a purely legal decision. If you're looking at the law and the Constitution, shouldn't matter what, what your background is, where you're from, whatever. But because they didn't do that and they admitted that they didn't do that, that their unrepresentativeness of the people is the exact same reason why they're not the ones who are supposed to be writing laws in the first place. No social transformation without representation, and that's what we got on Friday. one 888 Live by the sword, die by the sword. If we're going to have a legislative branch who hands over their authority to the executive branch. And if we're going to have a judicial branch, which corrects the mistakes of the, of the legislative branch in their effort to do whatever the executive branch wants, all of that can change. People on the left, all of that can change. You get some conservatives in there who can just, just tidal wave of everything that they want to do on you, and you're not going to like it. I suggest we put down the swords... That one day, that right now you're fighting with, but one day you will die on. Put down the swords, pick up the Constitution so we can all survive. 1 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On The Blaze Radio Network. Through the Looking Glass, the sequel to Alice in Wonderland, 1871 by Lewis Carroll. There's a scene where Alice comes across Humpty Dumpty, who naturally is sitting on a wall. And they have an exchange, and and, uh, Mr. Dumpty says, when I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean. And Alice says, oh, well, if you're very clever at explaining words, do you mind telling me the meaning of this poem? And uh, Humpty's like, yeah, 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 of course. So Alice says, okay, here it is. Twiz, Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the moam wraths outgrabe. And Humpty Dumpty says, oh, yeah, totally. Well, uh, a brillig means four in the afternoon, and slithy means slimy, and toves are badgers. 
and Gimbal is a hole, and Wave is a sundial, and Mimsy, that means miserable, and a Borago, how do you not know what a Borago is? Borago is a bird with feathers sticking out all over the place, and Outgribe means to whistle, and he goes on and he explains every word in that nonsense poem. And of course he's making it up as he goes along. Those words are just, they're just sounds, they're not real words. But Humpty Dumpty's like, oh yeah, that oh yeah, a, a gimbal, that's, that's a hole. And he just makes up the meaning of all the words. And that's all very well and good in, uh, you know, if you're a giant egg in Alice in Wonderland. You can make up words all day long. The problem is when the Supreme Court the same thing. The problem is when the Supreme Court invents words that aren't there out of whole cloth. Words in a sentence that don't exist. And the Supreme Court can come back and say, well, uh, you know, we know what they meant. How is that any different, really, than Humpty Dumpty saying, when I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean? And that's why Justice Scalia said words no longer have meaning. Think about that. Words no longer have meaning. We shouldn't be surprised. We've been saying for a long time that reality doesn't matter anymore. Whether it's budget gimmicks. Uh, whether it's your skin color, right? Like transracial, um, your gender, your actual gender doesn't matter. Definition of marriage doesn't, I mean, none of these things matter. They're, they're all being changed. Everything and everyone's gone mad. There is an actual, albeit brief discussion on CNN as to whether they should remove the Jefferson Memorial from Washington, D.C. because he owned slaves. I mean, everyone's going crazy. I don't want to be dramatic when I end this hour here, but the necessity, to, the necessity to hold on to what is true and real has never been greater. Uh, Manchester, he wrote uh, the biography of Winston Churchill, and he said that Churchill saw life and history in primary colors. Winston Churchill believed in absolute virtue and absolute malevolence, in blinding light and impenetrable darkness, in righteousness and wickedness. And in the forces of good against the forces of evil, for the two would always be in conflict and therefore forever embattled. We can't be afraid anymore to say, what you're saying is not true. Here is the truth. Now more than ever. And I want to do that with one of the most controversial issues there is. Next, Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. Third hour already? Goodness gracious. Um, Overwhelmed because we have four more hours of content to provide. Um, Let me share this. I had a Bible study this morning and this quote came to mind. I thought it's uh, worth sharing right here. It's from uh, Major Dick Winters from Easy Company, World War II. Band of Brothers, if you've ever seen the HBO uh, docudrama, what I don't know what they call it, miniseries, uh, Band of Brothers, Dick Winters is the commander. He says, war exposes 
the best and worst of those who are called to fight. I know of no man who lacked character in peace and then discovered his, his character in combat. I know of no man who lacked character in peace and then magically all of a sudden discovered his character in combat. I want to talk about Charleston for just one more segment here. Because what happened there, I feel like we brushed over it too quickly as a country. You know, we got the 24-hour media cycle. We got to move on to the next thing within just, you know, 12 hours max. You're going to stay on something. And I think what happened after Charleston is worth a month of discussing. I really do. This should be the topic of the country. Because the way Charleston handled this all, it's it's just perfect. I mean, just start with the families. They, they led the way. I mean, you, you have the, the, the murderer in a prison uniform locked in a tiny room with two heavily armed guards standing right behind him. And they're looking into a camera and he can hear the victim's families. So the family members have the opportunity to approach a microphone and address the 21 year old who murdered in cold blood the most important people in their lives. And I'm sure you've heard the clips before, incredibly powerful of them saying, I loved my mom. She's the most important person to me. And I will never hold her again because of you. And I forgive you. Or my son was going to go on to live an incredible life. But you took his life away from him. And away from me, his mother, and I forgive you. Repent from your sins. Like, what? That, that is not a normal reaction. That is a spirit-led reaction. Just put yourself there, right? The person you love most in the world. Someone murders that person, takes them away from you forever. I'm just imagining, let's say someone breaks into my house, kills my wife. Two days later, I'm supposed to look that person in the eye and say, I forgive you? And mean it? That is... That is astounding. Baffling. <laughs> I mean, the whole country... And maybe that's one reason why the country d- d- diverted attention from Charleston and instead focused on the stupid Confederate flag is because their reaction was baffling. And, and people uh, laughed at it. Uh, people mocked it. Uh, some people questioned if, if they really meant it or if it was just for show. This power of forgiveness. And the people of the church are saying, I mean, how else would we react? How else would you react? I can think of a thousand other ways to react. None of them right. I want to play this one clip from uh, last Sunday service at Mother Emmanuel in Charleston. The first service since the murders, clip four. A lot of folk expected us to do something strange and to break out in a riot. Well, they just don't know us. No 
don't know us because we are a people of faith. And we believe that when we put our forces and our heads together, working for a common good, there is nothing we cannot accomplish together in the name of Jesus. So that's why I, that's why I shared that quote from uh, Dick Winters there about character. Because I think, and this is stunning to me, that, that one of the most important points about character is that it's not formed in a crisis. The character is revealed in a crisis. Character is formed long before the crisis comes. And then when the crisis hits, your character doesn't change. Now, of course, uh, you know things happen throughout your life and your character is molded and, and formed a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But when the big thing hits, it's, it's just going to reveal who you are. Henry Holland, in 1887, he wrote a book uh, about character. And he said, character is your inner movement which encounters and withstands the shock of change and outward things. Right? So it's who you are on the inside that withstands the shock of change and outward things. It doesn't mean you don't mourn, of course. It doesn't mean you're not angry and you're, you don't hurt and all the other human emotions. It just means that if your goal is in something greater than yourself and if your faith is in something bigger than yourself, then your character becomes a fortress and no one and nothing can shake it. Even that monster who takes away your mother, your grandmother, your, your, your son. Not even, not even that can shake your character. Think of the most difficult times in, in American history. And I, and I ask this because I just popped up Drudge Report and there's people waiting in line, just like Glenn Beck has uh, predicted for years now, people waiting in line uh, f- uh, at banks in Greece. Right? They want to get their money out of the bank. There's a run on the banks going on right now. And I think I read a headline, don't quote me on this, but I, I read it briefly, that a third of ATMs across the country in Greece are out of cash. Okay, So it's a disaster. And that's coming here. Without a doubt, it's coming here. So think of the most difficult moment in American history. Whatever time period you're thinking of, it was men of character who changed the times, not the times that changed the men. It was men of character who changed the times. Right? I think the storm of... You have people who grew up during the Great Depression... As they're growing up, you know, the Great Depression molded who they, their character. And then when the storm of World War II hit, it revealed who they, who they were. And I think World War II and the greatest generation has defined our national character. The problem is that was 70 years ago. And it's time for a new generation to define our national character. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he said, men of, of character are the conscience of the society to which they belong. Men of character are the conscience of the side of the society to which they belong. That's you, right? That's you. So you right now, you on a Saturday afternoon or whenever you're listening to this on podcast, you are choosing to listen to a talk radio station. That means that you are the conscience of the American society. (laughs) The fact that you would choose to be here means that you are that conscience. No one else. Or let me say it like this even. 
last Tuesday or whenever the murder was. It was two Tuesdays ago, whatever. That day revealed the true character of the people of Charleston. The character that they've been building for generations. And the whole world has seen the true character of Charleston. Not just the white character, the black character, but the human race of Charleston. Their character has been revealed. And when a tragedy happens in your city, how is your city going to respond? And when a tragedy happens in our country, which will come sooner rather than later, how are we going to respond? I heard Glenn yesterday, and I forget the context. What was he talking about? Was he talking about a financial thing? I think it was a financial failing. He said, are we going to be the people of 912 again? Are we going to be those people again? Can we be those people again? And absolutely, there, there are challenges in all of our lives. Right now, every single person listening right now has something going on in their life. Some difficulty. Something that they don't want to tell anyone. Something that they think they're the only, you think you're the only person who's ever gone through this thing. And you're the only person going through anything. I guarantee it. Because I feel that way right now. Everyone does. And it's how we react to those events that create habits. That's the building of our character for when that storm hits our country, we can respond in the right way. The word character, it literally, it, it comes from the, the Greek word uh, meaning imprint on the soul. Imprint on the soul. So when you think of character like that, what is your character? What imprint is on your soul? Because whatever it is, defines our country. Now, but especially when the storm hits. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. Later on the Blaze Radio Network. Jeez, I put a uh, ah. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. Uh, mm, thank you, Nancy. All right, good. Thank good. I'm sorry. All right, so I put something on Facebook a second ago, and I tried to. I I just can't do this. My personality, I can't do it. I tried to be short, pithy, to the point. Throw out a statement, let it ride, and then all the comments are coming in, and people are completely misconstruing what I meant, and and I couldn't take it anymore. So I took a a pithy one sentence, one sentence statement, and I had to put an edit on it, and now I wrote another paragraph during the break because I just can't do it quickly. I can't. <laughs> I need I need to be able to articulate fully. Anyhow, but anyway, Timothy and Nancy knew exactly what I was talking about, so they defended me. So in that time, when I'm writing this long paragraph trying to, to further expand on my thought, Nancy and Timothy had my back the whole time. Goodness gracious. Uh, anyway, you can search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook and uh, back me up more or refute me, as many people are doing right now. It's all good. Either one. Um, got a few minutes here. Can we, uh, should we knock out here? 
Uh, let's do clip five right here. Do we have that, uh, Miss Britt? Yeah, this is from the uh, from the church on Sunday. My mother Emmanuel, another aspect of the uh, the sermon on Sunday. I wonder why the nine families all spoke of forgiveness and didn't have malice in their heart. Well, on this Father's Day, you ought to know the nine families' daddy. You will know how the children are behaving. After all, our daddy said we ought to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If you <laughs> love it, um, character, imp- the imprint on your soul. How important is this? Character is defined well before the trial comes, and when it comes, you're either prepared to withstand the storm or you'll drown. And that's why we need to make sure our homes are built on the rock so that our country can withstand the storm. James Madison, father of the Constitution. I think it's important to pay attention to, to what he says. He says, is there virtue among us? If there be not, we are in a wretched situation. No theoretical checks, no like checks and balances, which we earlier with the Supreme Court rule. There are no checks. <laughs> James Madison was right. There are no checks and balances anymore. But even if there were, no checks, no form of government can render us secure. To suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any form of virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. Chimerical is a fantastic word. Uh, in the Iliad, there's a, a creature called the chimera. Uh, and it's, a, it's an animal that has a goat's body, a lion's head, and a serpent for a tail. Right? So, so when James Madison says uh, the concept, the idea that you'll have a government that will secure your liberty and the people have no virtue, doesn't happen. Does not exist. It's as it, it, it's as possible for that to happen as there is for you to be walking down the street and have an animal walk by with a goat's body, a lion's head, and a serpent for a tail. Does not happen. It is impossible to live in a country where people have no virtue and no morals and a country with, with freedom and liberty. It's a fantasy. Does not exist. It's going to be interesting this next week. I, I can already tell... People are, are uh, social storied out. It's not the quite right the word for it. People are done with the social stuff. We've had a couple weeks of it. And last week was heavy duty. A lot of social issues. And uh, with what's going on in Greece right now, I think uh, economic issues are going to be the big thing next week. Because, again, we got to always move, right? we got to go from one thing to the next. But that quote there from James Madison that I shared, I, I just... I, <laughs> That's my rallying cry for people who only worry themselves with fiscal concerns. And listen, I'm, Rand Paul's tax proposal, 
absolutely important to talk about. Absolutely. And all the other fiscal issues going on in our country. No doubt about it. But these social issues. I don't know. Our founding fathers thought that they were rather important. Important to the point where all these other fiscal issues that we're concerned about, rightfully so, will never be solved. All these these political issues will never be solved. Unless we have a country full of people with virtue and morals. That's the foundation. I'm new to that game. Be honest with you, I'm new to it. I was always a fiscal conservative guy. That's all I really focused on. Economics, Hayek, Mises, those guys, that kind of stuff. Milton Friedman. And and social issues never really bothered me, but I'm just seeing our country and just how radically things are changing so quickly. And the Confederate flag means nothing, but I'll just use that as an example for how quickly things change. So last week, if you were walking down the street wearing a Confederate flag shirt, like, man, you know, like, hey, what's up with Charlie? Why is he wearing a Confederate flag shirt? And you're like, oh, yeah, Charlie's from Alabama. He's, uh, you know, like, he's really proud of the South. If you are walking down the street today with a Confederate flag shirt, I, I mean, <laughs> you'll be fired from your job. Literally, there's a police officer who was fired from his job because he put a picture on uh, Facebook of him wearing uh, Confederate flag boxer shorts. Fired. He's a cop. He's fired. That happened within hours. Right? Like so, it, I I was exa- I exaggerated. This story was big on what, like Tuesday. So on Monday, Tuesday morning, you could wear a Confederate flag T-shirt. Tuesday evening, you're a white supremacist who is a horrible bigot, and you will probably get fired from your job if a picture of you is shown with the Confederate flag. That happened in a matter of hours. Are and uh, again, the Confederate flag means nothing, but that is happening here. Gay marriage, President Obama and Hillary Clinton ran on the platform in 2008 of traditional marriage, and Jesus said that marriage is between a man and a woman. He's still the president, and he's celebrating gay marriage in America. And the front of the White House is lit up uh, like a rainbow. Same one presidency, one and a half, right? Like six years, one and a half terms. How quickly things are changing we got to be able to pat our heads rub our bellies at the same time we need fiscal issues and we need social issues and we need morals and we need values and we need to strengthen our marriages and our families or else nothing else stands a chance mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network Next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Slater Crusaders, thank you for being here. Um, I put something up on Facebook. Love to get your your comments on it. I talked about what I believe are the two biggest threats, uh, two biggest attacks to marriage. Um, it, there's so many, there's so much to talk about. I, I'd love to get your comments, I and mean, maybe we can talk more about it uh, next week. But you just search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. I gave my two biggest. And if you could throw uh, the things that you think are the biggest uh, uh, problems, uh, I'd love to get your take on that, too. Um, let's see. Ba-ba-da-ba. 
We talked about the Supreme Court ruling. Um, I, I think the big the Supreme Court rulings. I think the big picture is that reality that means nothing anymore. It really doesn't. Um, so we now more than ever have to find the truth and never let go of it. Right? Stand up against the lies and stand up for the truth. I got an example here. Um, keep an ear out always for changing of the language. For a few months now, all we've heard about is white privilege. Right? Now, it's been going on for years, like in universities and stuff, but it's finally infiltrated to, to mainstream life. White privilege. Well, that's changed already, how quickly things changed. And now they've removed white privilege and they've replaced it with white supremacy. Check this out. Clip two. We are a white supremacist society. We are a society that on its face values white people, what they do, and their body, their integrity, uh, more than people of color. Is racism built into this country? Is it in the hearts of many Americans? Oh, I definitely think that's the case. I would like to know if the white churches in this country are hanging their heads in shame today. But you know the shame isn't enough because they can't repent without restitution. When are we going to have reparation for slavery, for Jim Crow, for the new Jim Crow? Unless you give back, there is no forgiveness for you. I'm deeply afraid that we are still, as a country, uh, mired in prejudice and racism. The problem is we can't eliminate these types of incidents if we don't get at the source of the problem. And the source. Sorry, it goes on after that. He says the source of the problem is white supremacy. <laughs> like what? White supremacy? This is why you need to defeat a lie before it grows. Because, you know, white privilege, it goes from white privilege to white supremacy. We are a white supremacist nation. And I'm sorry, I'm done with this. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And I absolutely agree with Bill O'Reilly's take on this from his show the other day. Clip three. However, the problems have little to do with white people, rather a corrosive culture that does not confront child neglect and antisocial behavior on the streets. That's what's driving poverty and dysfunction. Let me give you a recent example. In Detroit on Saturday, 12 black Americans shot at a party. 12. Did you hear anything about that? That included three women. One person was killed. The likely perpetrators, black gang members. The truth is there is no organized effort to harm black people by white people. That doesn't exist here. The real racism is looking away from what is really harming black Americans, the root cause of poverty. And as Talking Points has reported over and over and over again, that is the dissolution of the African-American traditional family, chaos on the streets in poor neighborhoods, and an educational system that does not demand the same standards of achievement that are demanded in the white neighborhoods. In many schools, if black students misbehave or fail, nothing is done. Authorities either look the other way or socially promote them to get them the hell out of the school. That's racism. All American students should be treated the same way. And the excuse that slavery, Jim Crow, and other historical injustices should now define how black citizens are treated is insane. You want a war? You got a war. I'm not going to sit here any longer and take this garbage. 
People who lie, who run the country down, who are racist themselves, are going to be called out right here on The Factor. In the next segment with Bernie last night, every country has racist elements within it. You're always going to have that. I wanted to You're always going to have terrible incidents like Ferguson like and Baltimore and Charleston. Oh, a little bit. Every Dual audio right there in the background. You get the idea. I, I like Bill O'Reilly, I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not putting up with that. I, I'm I'm so sick of this. And to call us a white supremacist nation. We mentioned this earlier. So no fair if you were listening to the show earlier. But have you ever heard of the Arthur Ravenel Jr. Bridge? I, I, honestly, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I've never heard it pronounced by anyone. But it's a bridge in Charleston. Uh, a pretty pretty sizable bridge. And on Sunday night, it was completely jam-packed with 15,000 people from Charleston. Two miles the line stretched. Two miles from one town on the one side of the bridge all the way across the bridge to the middle of the other town on the other side of the bridge. 15,000 people holding hands, praying, singing. They called it the unity chain. They had a nine-minute moment of silence. One minute for each of the nine victims. Is that something that would happen in a white supremacist nation? All different races, all ages. That's not. That's not something that people do do in a white supremacist nation. That is such a ridiculous concept. God, it makes me angry. It really makes me angry. That is a lie. That is an ugly, insidious lie, and we need to kill it. I know you've stood up to this for a long time. But we if if we don't fight it even harder, then it's going to grow and you're going to get people calling a white supremacist. I don't even know what's worse than that. Like what what's worse than calling us a white supremacist Nate? an apartheid country? I mean that's got to be next. Like we live in a country of apartheid, which is ridiculous. I talked to someone from South Africa the other day, actually, who grew up in apartheid South Africa. He's like, this, this, the whole rhetoric is ridiculous, he said. White supremacist nation. On this uh, uh, bridge, right, this rally that was in Charleston, which I heard nothing about all week. Instead, we're talking about the stupid Confederate flag. But you had people on each side of the bridge, led by family members, and they started marching to the middle of the bridge at the same time, met in the middle, and embraced. And the pictures of that, that, which I haven't seen anywhere, I only got to see them on Twitter and Instagram. It's the only way I knew that this thing happened. The pictures are stunning. They are the absolute realization of MLK's dream. They are. It is MLK's dream personified. And when you have family members of the victims... Surrounded by police officers, heads bowed, praying with American flags in the background. Doesn't get any better than that. Let, let me back it up for a second. Maybe you've heard uh, people say that our first um, mixed race president, right? Because that's what Barack Obama is. He's got a black dad and a white mom. Mixed race or black, whatever. He missed the opportunity to bring people together. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Be like, this president, his position, his family background, et cetera, had an opportunity to transcend race 
in our country. And some people, uh, but but didn't, right? People say that with remorse. Like he had the opportunity, didn't take it. And some people will, will respond with, well, what did you expect him to do? Like what could he possibly have done? I got an idea. Brittany, what's the clip that we played earlier of the uh, the guy, the kid, uh, giving the speech? Is it five? I think it's clip five, maybe. Is it play play that one here if you can? This was a gentleman uh, who was at the rally. I think he's a family member of one of the victims, and he was speaking on uh, one side of the bridge before everyone marched across. He was introduced by the chief of police of the town. So if you want to, like, well, what could the president have been doing these last six years? I don't know. A little bit of this. He introduced me, and you clapped. But I want you to give yourself a hand, because look at the turnout, not only here, but I heard it's about 5,000 people on the other side of this bridge. Not only to the United States, but to the entire globe. That when you hear about Charleston, South Carolina, you have us mistaken. We are united as the human race. To this point, you have heard Black Lives Matter. Where is, come here a second, I'm going to do this here in Charleston. I'm going to do this right here. I am going to say this to you. Stand right here. Can you hold this for me? It's not black lives that matter anymore. All lives. And wherever you are, wherever you're hiding, whether it be behind a keyboard or a cell phone or in some dark cave somewhere, spewing your hatred, trying to keep us divided, we are the United States of America, one country. How about that? (laughs) How about the president of the United States of America stands up and say, all lives matter? How about that? How about the president of the United States stands up and says, stop hiding behind a keyboard. Stop spewing your hatred. Stop trying to keep us divided because we're one country under God. That's a good, that's a good start. MLK's I Have a Dream speech, right? We all know the part about uh, you know black boys, black girls playing on the playground together. Which, we talked about that picture earlier from the Unity Bridge in Charleston where you have a, a white family with like a four-year-old son and a black family with a four-year-old daughter. Everyone's embracing, crying, loving each other, and the kids are playing. Like, stunningly beautiful picture. So we know that part of MLK's dream speech. We know the part where he you know, talks about judging by the content of your character, not the color of your skin. But do you know the next line? The next line's a little deeper. It's a little heavier. It's a little wordier. It's hard to remember. We don't hear it as often. But the very next line says, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be received and all flesh shall see it together. All flesh shall see it together. That, that 
happened in Charleston. And it's been happening every day there since the murders. So when I said the other day that, that I was thinking the other day that the nine people were looking down on us thinking, really? We were murdered inside of our church praising God and here you are talking about the Confederate flag? And now we have those nine people. I know now they were looking down and they were looking at Charleston and looking at everyone of all races holding hands and singing and praying and saying, yes, that's it. More of that. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on The Blaze Radio Network. later on the blaze radio network oh my gosh i got two and a half minutes to make this argument and i i I can't and then if i try it's not going to be complete and then that's not going to be good either what do i do i don't know Uh, i'll do the best i can so we've made arguments many times on this show that capitalism is the solution to all of our all of our economic problems more capitalism more freedom because human ingenuity is the one natural resource that there is no shortage of shortage of if you live in a free country so therefore people can solve all the problems around us for instance here in california we have a drought it's not it's a, we have a drought hmm. drought is caused by nature water shortage is caused by government right so anyway Government solution is use less. Jerry Brown, our governor, Moonbeam, as he's known, um, use less water, $10,000 fines, all the rest, right? Meanwhile, new homes are building here in San Diego. By the way, just for a little perspective, these are about three to 4,000 square foot homes that are a million dollars. Inland, they're not even on the water. Okay? But they come with a $10,000 water recycling system. So it takes water from the showers and the bathtubs and the washing machines and sinks and all that. Brings it and puts it in the... It removes the solids and the solids go into another pipe down into the sewer. Treats whatever's left a little bit and then uses that water, uh, recycles it for watering the lawn and plants and stuff. It's genius. And it can decrease your water use by 70%. Absolutely brilliant. And And I share that because... When we think we're running out of water and government politicians say, use less and we're going to force you to use less and we're going to fine you if you use too much. That's the government solution. The free market solution is, well, I don't know. Let's figure out a way where you can use more. <laughs> right? Let, let's solve this problem so that you can use more cheaper. The government, they love shortages. They want you to use less and have it cost more. Free market wants you to have more and have it cost less. That's why I choose capitalism over government solutions every time. Slater Crusaders, thank you for a wonderful show. A lot of different things today. Uh, Slater Radio on the Twitter and uh, search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. We can continue this conversation until we meet again. Fourth of July, next Saturday. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.